Welcome to the Thrive Church Podcast. Join us today as we explore the Word, giving insightful solutions for day-to-day living. We pray this message encourages you throughout your day. You can also visit www.thrivechurch.me. Now on to today's message. If you weren't here last week, you can go online and listen, but it was hot up in here, right? I stirred some of y'all's cornflakes up. Um, so if you're a first-time guest with us, welcome. Uh, you should have received a connection card when you come in. That connection card is so important. If you have a need, anything at all, we go through those connection cards each week. Uh, it's a prayer request, a, a desire to serve. If you need something from staff, we go through those. So make sure, if you can, uh, to fill that out uh, there. And, and you can turn that back in uh, at one of the green baskets uh, there. I am Kevin, lead pastor here at Thrive. And just so you know, if you're new, we have one church, two locations. Uh, this is our Chesterfield location. We have a, also a location in the city of Richmond near the Diamond, the baseball uh, field over there. And today I get the honor and privilege of going and sharing this message with them uh, today. So when I leave here, I'll go share. So be praying for them because if you don't like it, be like, man, I need to pray for them. This will be rough on them. At least you'll be through it, right? Well, what we've done is this. We've been looking um, at this series, a uh, two-week series, a quick one. We're going to do one every now and again. There's tons of questions. But we had help from LifeChurch.tv. They're in Oklahoma City. They're not local anywhere in this area. Uh, not affiliated with any live churches here. But they are a church about 25,000. They have, uh, I think, 20 campuses or so, online campuses. And Pastor Craig Rochelle and his church did a survey of thousands of believers. And they asked them, uh, you know, what are the questions that you have? So we took questions from you guys that gave questions to us. And then we took questions from their, uh, their series. And we decided to uh, share with you uh, how to answer some of these hard questions. I'm just going to open up with this before we get into our first point is this. Where the Bible speaks, we can speak. But where the Bible is silent, there's not much we can say. You can have some human opinions. And the Bible doesn't speak to everything. You know, how long should your shirt be? It doesn't tell you exactly, right? It doesn't tell you should you have a bald head or should you have a nice head of hair like Manny. I mean, it just doesn't tell you. It doesn't tell you what you should do with that. There are things the Bible doesn't speak to, right? Um, And last week we talked about some of those. So where it speaks, we must speak. Where it is silent, we must be careful because then we'll begin to make human laws up um, and human opinions there. Um, And realize this, most of our beliefs and your beliefs are shaped by three things, uh, or hopefully three things. First of all is your family of origin. What you were taught on your grandfather and grandmother's knee is probably what was ingrained inside of you. Now some of that was good, right? And some of that was bad. Like if grandmother taught you that cleanliness is next to godliness and that's in the Bible, it's not in the Bible, but it's a good principle to live by, correct? There are things I learned on my grandfather's knee that was good, and there's some things I learned that was not good. There were some things that were not things I needed to live by. Um, And there's some ideologies he had. So first is family of origin. You have your family impacted how you believe in a good way and a bad way. The second way that you've been impacted is by culture. I said last week that um, I was watching The View. I was stuck in front of it. I was trapped. I was at a car dealership get my wife's car worked on and, and I was stuck in front of The View. And Whoopi Goldberg was teaching the Bible. I thought I was dreaming. I was like, man, I, I, I'm going to wake up because she was telling the world about what the Bible says about homosexuality. And she's never, she doesn't know what the Bible, she didn't quote the Bible. She said, well, I feel, think, and believe. I was like, well, Whoopi, if what you felt, thought, believe was good enough, you'd have wrote the Bible, but you didn't. But many of us let, let act 
doctors and let people who don't even, I mean, do you understand that Jason Stratham, Statham has never, never saved anybody? <laughs> Transporter, you know, Chuck Norris has, has never, you know, I mean, these aren't real people. But these people shape how we believe. She takes great selfies, so I must follow her ideologies. <laughs> no! We let TV show hosts dictate what we believe in the world. And so you, some of you are shaped by culture. You're shaped by your friends, what they think, and then things of that nature. And what you've got to do during this series is this. This is what I want to challenge you to. You've got to be shaped by the Word of God. If you're really a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, you'll find out if you really follow Jesus, or if you're just acting and wearing a mask, when it comes down to the real issues. Because you'll hit issues. And you'll either be able to say, well, I feel, think, and believe. Or you'll say the Word of God says. Well, I, you know, I know that the Word of God says that, but I still feel, think, and believe. And I'm telling you, that's dangerous because you're not really following Jesus. Because many times what we do is we create a God made in our own image. Remember the, 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 the Ten Commandments? You were taught there, um, uh, uh, the, the Lord taught the Israelites, don't make a God in your own image. Today, now you may not make little gods and put them up on, on, on shelves, right? You're not doing that. But you know how we do it? We create the Jesus that we want to believe in, not the Jesus of the Bible. All right. Well, I don't really think Jesus would really do that. But it, it says here, he, he tells you. There's historical evidence and eyewitness evidence. He, he tells you. And so I'm pleading with you as your pastor that you're going to have to make some decisions. Either I'm going to follow what grandma and grandpa thought that some of it wasn't even true or good. Or I'm going to have to follow what the Bible says. I'm going to have to follow this, this actor and this musician and this singer and this TV show host. I'm going to follow what the Bible says. That's the choice. The Bible does say this. It says, in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, in the last days, even the elect will be deceived. Even the elect. That means if you've surrendered to Jesus Christ and you've said, he's my Lord and Savior, you can still be deceived. What does deceived mean? It means you're deceived. <laughs> be very careful where you look to for your basis of beliefs. Either it's culture and it's family and it's friends or it's the word of God. I'm going to tell you, as I said during worship, the word of God will never fail. The word of God will never fail. And then let, let me say this here before we get into it. We can ad- agree to disagree on the areas the Bible doesn't speak on. You can now, how do you know you can do that? There's different denominations. And let me just say this. Some of you are like, denominations are of the devil. No, thank God you have different, like, Methodists and Baptists and Pentecostal and you know, Christian churches and all these different ones. Thank God you have that because, you know, the next time the churches don't have one ruler is when the Antichrist shows up. <laughs> so when, when, that, when, when the denominational problem solved, the Antichrist will be leading the church. That's what it says in the book of Revelation. So be careful with that. I have friends who differ in theology that are part of another the denominational belief system. Maybe they're they're Armenian and I'm Calvinist. Or maybe they're Calvinist and I'm Armenian. Right? So they, they differ in those areas. They're still Protestants. And we can agree to disagree. So you may not agree with everything that I said last week. You may not agree with everything I said this week. But I can promise you this. I'm, I'm going to go from the Word of God when I share it with you. Not my own just personal beliefs and opinions. Now let's kick it off. What we're going to do is Pastor Craig Rochelle of LifeChurch.tv is going to sit on the hot seat. And he's going to knock out some, some answers here. He's going to be asked some questions by a local news broadcaster. So if you will, turn your attention to the screen for Pastor Craig Rochelle for a hot seat. 
Okay, let's start round two of the hot seat. You ready? Far away. LaKendra from Fort Worth, Texas wants to know, why do I feel overwhelmed when God says, he won't give me more than I can handle? You know, Ellie, a lot of people think that God won't give us more than we can handle, but the Bible never says that. The Bible says God will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. He'll always give us a way out for temptation, but God actually often will allow us to have more than we can handle so we can learn to depend on him. LaKendra, I'm praying for you this week. Mikey from Owasso, Oklahoma, wants to know, if God forgives your sins, why is he going to judge us for our sins after we die? That's an important question. And if you're a Christian, God is actually not going to judge your sins when you die. God's already judged your sins when Jesus died on the cross. And so your sins are forever forgiven. Now, after we die, there will actually be two different judgments. You can read about one in Revelation 20, and it's known as the Great White Throne Judgment. At this judgment, there will be the unbelievers, those who are not Christians, and they will be judged for their sins. And when their names are not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they will be punished eternally for their sins. You won't be judged at the Great White Throne Judgment for your sins because your name will be found in the Lamb's Book of Life. There's a second judgment, though, that you will be at, and so will I, and it's called the Judgment Seat of Christ. At the Judgment Seat of Christ, your eternal destiny will not be judged. That's already been determined on earth. But you'll be rewarded and judged for your works on earth. If you did good works, you'll receive eternal rewards. Here's what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. At the judgment seat of Christ, your salvation is not determined. Your sins have already been judged. There you'll be judged for your works, and hopefully you'll receive a lot of rewards. So judged kind of in the good sense, not so much in the bad. Exactly. If you're a Christian, your sins were judged at the cross, and you're totally forgiven, and you'll be judged for your good works and rewarded in heaven. Now we've got an anonymous question. This comes from an unnamed person, and they want to know, is it okay to daydream about your spouse, or is that wrong? I'm thinking kind of by the tone of this question, Craig, they're probably talking about sexual daydreams. Hey, hey, yo. Um, I'm sorry. Okay, we're just moving on. Michelle from Hendersonville, Tennessee, wants to know, why do some people raise their hands at church during a song and some people don't? That's a good question, because if someone walks in and has never seen that before, they wonder why in the world are people doing this? Well, there's many verses in the Bible. I'll read you a couple of them. Psalm 63, verse 4 says, I will praise you as long as I live, speaking of God, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Psalm 134, verse 2 says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Some people would say this is a way of reaching out out to God. Others would say it's a full surrender before God. It's a posture of worship that people express their heart toward God by lifting up holy hands. Do you ever do that, Ellie? Um, I would say I'm an eye closer. Um, sometimes I do one hand. I'm like a halfway up. You're a half hand lifter and an eye closer. And you know, sometimes too, I find my hands just sort of end up right here. I'm not sure why. It's a great place to be. A, a posture of worship. All right, Terrence from South Oklahoma City has got a real serious question here. He wants to know, does the Bible forbid interracial marriages? Great question, and the answer is no, it does not. Some people will try to say that it does, and they'll quote Deuteronomy chapter 7, when one group of people took over another group, and God said, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. And people say, God was saying, don't marry interracially. But verse 4 gives the key to the verse where it says, for 
they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So God wasn't talking about other races as much as he was talking about other faiths. In fact, there are many examples in the Bible. Solomon was not judged for marrying a foreign woman, but a foreign woman who worshipped false gods. Also in Numbers 12, when Moses married an Ethiopian woman, Miriam and Aaron, they were upset, but God wasn't. And finally, Rahab and Ruth were both Gentiles, and yet they were mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. God isn't concerned with skin color or where someone's born. He wants to know how they place their faith in Christ. Last question. An anonymous attender noticed your pink shirt on Easter and wanted to know, can a real man wear pink? Only in spring, and Easter is a perfect time, and I would ask him, does a real man ask anonymous questions? I'll see you next week. Sounds good. All right. That's the hot seat with Pastor Craig there, uh, Grishel. The, the next question is this. Are horoscopes wrong? Are horoscopes wrong? And let me read you a couple of scriptures here um, that should be found in your notes. Is In Deuteronomy 18, 10 through 12, it says this. This is the Lord speaking to the children of Israel. It says, let your astrologers come forward, these stargazers who make up predictions month by month. Surely they are like stubble. The fire will burn them up. Each one of them goes in his error. Now look at Isaiah 47 verses 13 and 15. And the Lord says again to the Israelites, let no one be found among you who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. So when it comes to horoscopes, we're all like, come on, man, you're just being like hard. It's just fun. I just like to look and kind of see what it says and blah, blah, blah. You know, and it's actually, some of you would say, it's actually right. Okay, I want you to take the batteries out of your clock. And twice a day, your clock will still be right. <laughs> the real issue is this here. Um, as you look, the Lord took that pretty seriously. And, and I, I think here is, is it's one of the issues is... Um, that you're looking to something else besides the Lord for your guidance. Do you realize, I know if you're in AA or NA, that they'll say you're higher power, and that, you know, that's fine for them to do that, but you understand there's only, there's only two powers in the universe. God, and then there's Satan. Even false religions are led by Satan to pull you away from Christ, okay? And so you've got to realize if you're looking to another power to, to give you guidance and give you wisdom and give you direction, you're actually looking to Satan to show you direction. Do you get that? The scary thing is many of us look more to a horoscope than we do the Word of God. Because what God says about you is what's true, not what, you know, the, the stars say about you. The second thing is this, I want you to realize that why do you have to look to the stars when you have direct relationship with the one who created the stars? He knows you better than anybody else knows you. And he doesn't speak uh, to you about who you are. He speaks about your future and who you can be. See, uh, and the reason God calls it witchcraft is because it's seeking the spiritual assistance of something other than God. And again, it's in its truest form, it is according to the word of the Lord, witchcraft. When you're looking at that stuff. Um, I would encourage you, instead of looking at that, how about read the Bible? Um, I have something I've been doing for 15, 16 years now. 
It's called a proverb a day will keep ignorance away. Amen. There's 31 proverbs in the Bible. There's 30, 31 days in the month. Um, So I guarantee you that if you'll do that and memorize proverbs instead of memorizing your horoscope, you'll be much better off and you'll also be following the Lord in that. Let God's truth define you. See, I am not an Aries. I'm a blood-bought saint of the living God. I am washed. I am clean. I have a destiny in Jesus. And that doesn't define me. Jesus defines me. Is that okay? Some of y'all got really mad at me and you'll be hiding on social media your horoscope as you're looking at it. Um, So let's go back to Pastor Craig Grishel for round uh, hot seat round number two today. Welcome to round three of the hot seat. Craig, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's play. All right, let's start with a big question. Todd from Facebook wants to know, does the Bible mention dinosaurs? A lot of debate on this subject. Those who believe in a young earth, they often say the Bible does mention dinosaurs. I'll give you some examples. Uh, There's a Hebrew word, the word tanian. It's translated sea monster, dragon, or serpent. It's some type of a giant reptile. It's mentioned 28 times in the Old Testament. There's a couple other words as well in Job 40, there's a creature called the behemoth, and in Psalm 104 and Isaiah 27, there's a creature called the Leviathan. If you want to research more about dinosaurs in the Bible, I suggest you Google creation science. We have a question now from South Tulsa, from Sharon. Actually, a few questions here dealing with money. Sharon wants to know, why do you teach the tithe when she says it's not mentioned in the New Testament? A lot of people think the tithe isn't mentioned in the New Testament. It is mentioned. In fact, Jesus talked about it. Matthew 23, 23, he said, for your careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Then Jesus himself says you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The tithe is biblical, Old Testament, and new. A few specifics here. Trevor from a network church in Canada wants to know, should I tithe off my inheritance? Absolutely. That's an increase, and you return 10% to the Lord. Caitlin in Wellington, Florida wants to know, should I tithe off my student loans? No. That's a loan you do not tithe off your loans. Okay. Wife in Oklahoma City wants to know, my husband and I were debating if we should tithe our income before taxes are removed or after taxes are removed. Gross and net. Uh, The Bible says that we bring our first fruits to the Lord. I believe that we tithe before taxes. This wasn't even an issue before the 16th Amendment back in 1913 when the government could now remove income taxes. For hundreds of years, people tithe before income taxes. I believe we tithe our first and our best and trust God to bless the rest. Jonathan from a network church wants to know, is purgatory a real place? Let's talk about what purgatory is. A lot of our Catholic friends believe in a place called purgatory where the soul goes after one dies to be purged or to be cleansed and prepared for heaven. To be honest, the Bible doesn't mention purgatory anywhere. The Bible does say in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. No mention of purgatory. Hebrews 9, 27 says, just as a man is destined to die once and after that face the judgment. Purgatory is not a real place. Along the same lines, Amy in our Albany campus wants to know, will Catholics go to heaven? Great question. Catholics who trust in Christ for salvation will go to heaven just as Baptists who trust in Christ. Catholics or Baptists or people who go to life church who trust in religion or their good works and not in Christ will not go to heaven. Okay, now we've got a hot and heavy line of questioning here. A lot of people from a number of campuses want to know what's allowed and what's not allowed in the marriage bedroom. 
I'm not going to give you specifics here, but answer the question. Great question. I used to answer this alley and say, well, as long as the two of you agreed, then it was probably okay. But a lot of people are agreeing to some unusual things, like we agree to bring our friend in. And so let me just broaden the answer a little bit. Uh, if you want to bring another person in, another couple, that's absolutely and unquestionably wrong all the time. If you want to introduce pornography into your marriage, that's wrong. You're using an outside source or people to arouse you. Again, biblically wrong. If you want to try different positions and different things, read Song of Solomon. It's rather erotic, very direct. It seems like there's a lot of freedom. My perspective is as long as you agree alone together, turn the lights off, leave them on, have fun. Let's lighten up. Taylor from Facebook wants to know, I know you've been expecting this one, do pets go to heaven? Should I answer that or not? Yes. Okay, let's, let's do this. You have to. You're on the hot seat. People love their pets. And for some people, pets are like a family member or like their best friend. So I want to answer this with sensitivity. The Bible doesn't answer this directly at all. And so let's talk about what we do know. We know that God made animals. We know that God cares for animals. We also know that animals will be in heaven. And the Bible is very specific about that. Isaiah 11.6 shows us that animals will be in heaven. Here's what we also know, Alex. We know that man was made in the image and likeness of God. Animals were not, implying that people have a soul and animals do not have a soul. In order to go to heaven, you have to trust in Christ, which would be hard for an animal without a soul to actually do. If you want to believe that animals go to heaven, I wonder where do you draw the line with your pets? Is it just your cats and your dogs and not your goldfish or your pet tarantula or the turtle that you put in a box that died four days later when you were a little kid? So from my perspective, it does not appear that your pets will go to heaven, although there will be animals there. Since the Bible doesn't specifically answer this question, if you want to believe that Fluffy goes to heaven, more power to you. No cat jokes? That's it? We have four cats living with us right now. Three of them are ours. One is a guest cat that we're taking care of for family members. One of our cats is pregnant, and we don't know who the father is. It tells you more about the morals of cats. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Some of y'all are sweating and thrive church today. All right. <laughs> the fourth one is this. Um, what, what, I'm trying to word this correctly, is does God hate those who get divorced? And because there's been such a, a stringent hit in that. If you grew up in the church back in the 70s, um, you were literally outcast that happened to you. And I would say today that probably over half of you may have been divorced before and are in that. So I want to speak to you about what the Bible says about it. And then if you're, you're married, to know what it says. And it, Matthew 19, uh, 1 verses uh, 1 through 11. Let me, let me read this, verses 3 through 11. And it says, some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Did you see that? For just any reason. Verse 4, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. That's what I always say too. You need to read the word, man. They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give a wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but 
was not what God had originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless the wife, and you you could put spouse in there, has been unfaithful. Because their question was about the wife. And so Jesus was answering that specifically. Unless the spouse has been unfaithful. And Jesus' uh, disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it's better not to marry. (laughs) And all the single single people said, (laughs) not everyone can accept this statement, Jesus said, only those who God helps. Let me break this down for you real quick. Is that there are times when divorce should happen or could happen in a marriage. I believe that you should, first of all, try everything you can to reconcile. Uh, The issue is many people go into a marriage um, living in sin and then they want to go into the marriage and make it holy. You need to make it holy before you ever get into it to, to help you. I'm not saying you won't make it. So if you're in a marriage, what are the grounds there? Now Jesus uses the word unfaithful. The King James would say adultery. That word adultery is not the same word that is used throughout the Bible to mean just physical adultery. You hear me? To mean that like, you know, he just went off and slept with someone so now I can get divorced. But that word there, adultery, is a broader term that could mean emotional or physical abuse. So if you're being beat by your spouse, you get out of the house, you call the authorities or they need to go to counseling. You hear me? Don't sit in there and get your brains beat out and then say, well, I don't want to go to Get out and let them get counseling and get help. Um, if the, um, adultery is being committed on you. And guys, let me tell you something. That's even as far as pornography. The wife has that, that right to say, you know what? I can't trust you anymore with that. The word adultery goes much further than just an act, a physical act of that. It is much uh, more broader in scope. And so you've got to realize there are times when a marriage um, will, will end. Now, let me, let me say this. The reason that I think in... I see a lot of, um, in a good way, couples that get married after they've been through divorce. And I see great marriages here at Thrive through that. Can I tell you that? I see some really good marriages. Um, and I believe that I put, if I put some of you on the stand, you would say, you know what? We didn't have Christ as our focus when we first got married. That's why it didn't go well. We didn't put God first. So if you've been divorced, there's grace. God doesn't hate you. God's not mad at you. God's not like, oh, you're worthless and sorry. Um, Now, if you're in a marriage right now and your marriage is struggling, do all you can to save it. That means don't just grin and bear it, but get counseling, get help. You're in a covenant with God and that person. Make sure you get help with that and let let God help you. Um, If you're in a situation where that adultery has been committed, you need to seek... um, one of our staff or myself can meet with you and talk with you and you need to make plans to, to see what route are we going. Are we getting counseling to try to, to try to save the marriage? I'd say go for that first. I believe God would want you to go for that first. Um, are you just going to stalemate and get your brains beat out? And then complain and ask for prayer every week. Sometimes people need to be put to the grindstone and say either you're going to stop this stuff or we're getting a divorce. You're not going to do this. Not in my house. We cannot have a biblical marriage with you doing this. You've got to get help. We've got to get help. Okay? Um, I, I had a friend who kept calling every week and his wife was actually abusing him. It's terrible. I'm serious, you know. Um, and this day and time that happens. And I said, man, you've got three options. Either you're going to look this thing in the eyes or you guys are going to deal with it. If you're going to sit there and keep calling me every week, and I'm just getting tired of hearing it, dude. Same thing, every week. 
I said, or you're just going to let things go and go and go. I said, you've got to make a decision what you're going to do. So let me encourage you um, in that, that if you need to get help, we can connect you with the right people to help a, a marriage. It is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and humility when you ask for help. Um, I have sat with couples before, and they come in humble. They say, we want to make it work. Um, I am sorry. And, and the other person says, I'm sorry. And we've got to get this thing going. And I see marriages get stronger. But when you have one person full of pride and doesn't want help, there's no way it can make it. So let me say this here. In a marriage, if you're married, put Christ first. Make Jesus the first. If you're in a divorce, make sure it's biblical grounds. Not just because you're tired and bored and not, you know, not meeting your needs. You just need to get counseling with that. That's stupid. You want you know, It's like buying a new car. You want to get a new uh, wife or husband. Don't, don't do that. You're in a covenant. Um, so make sure it's biblical. Make sure, meet with one of our staff. Let us walk with you through it. And then in a re marriage, seek to honor Christ in that. If you're remarried, do that. And I'm I'm telling you, God can use you no matter where you're at in any of those three. Do you hear me in that? And let me say this, if you're single in here today, you need to read some books on marriage before you get married. Don't wait to get in the game before you start practicing. (laughs) That's why you have off-season mini camps for football players. Now, let's read some books. You need to be. I read five books forever got married. I have a great marriage. Forever said I do. So make sure you do that. Here's the next question. I got to roll through these here. Is how do you get teenagers to listen to you? Matthew 19 26, Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but with God, everything is possible. (laughs) Parents of teenagers. Parents of teenagers, that's what you got. Um, I served as a youth pastor for many years. And let me tell you a couple of quick things here that, that help you. They may not seem like they're listening, but they're listening. And if you have young children and you're raising young children, how you spend time with them as a young child is what they'll be as a teenager. If it's, you can't just slap a kid and say, stop doing that, quit, no, and holler. And you've got to spend time and sit with the child and talk to them and work with them. Not just haul off and holler and cuss and hit. And then your magazines are hitting people at school and they're hollering and cussing at them. Sit down with the children, work with them. And if you have a teenager, they may not, they may not look like they're listening, but they're listening. And they don't care how much you, you know until they know how much you care about them. And what I did for teenagers was, was I invested time in them. I challenged them. Um, I, I, I really believed in them. Now I've got guys now that are doing youth ministry that were in my youth ministry because I believed in them. I challenged them. I pushed them to the grindstone and said, man, there's more in you than what you see. And that's what they need. Children need time. They just need time with you. They need you to, they don't care what you do with them. Just do something with them. I can remember the times on my hand when my dad actually went outside and played sports with me. I had to watch TV and learn on my own. I didn't have a dad to go and show me how to do stuff. I had to do it. I can tell you everything he ever taught me, it was three things that he took time to do with me outside because he was too drunk at the bar and didn't have time for me. Take time with, with children. So you need to sit down with them and ask questions and talk with them and spend time with them. Um, instead of just hollering and fussing at them, you've got to do that. They need lots of stability, time, love, and conversations and support. They need other people. Thank God for the youth ministry we have here at Thrive Church and what God's doing. Because if you need a, somebody to, to help you with, with your child, you've got people here. Alan and Emily who will sit with them and work with them and talk with them. You've got other help along the way. And here's the question today, number six, is how do I know my purpose? How do I know my purpose? 
And let me just share this with you. Verse 20 of 2 Corinthians 5, 20, uh, 19 and 20 says, For we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead to people, come back to God. Your purpose is not something that you do, it's who you are. You're an ambassador for the kingdom of God, meaning that you are representing the kingdom. So whether you're working as a teacher, whether you're um, working at the 7-Eleven on the street, whether you are working in, in, a, in a factory, no matter you're, where you're at, it's to, this message is come back to God. God loves you. He wants to redeem you. Now there are things you can do um, as far as work to find out your purpose. What do I do? What do I do? You need to go to it one. Go 201. They'll, they'll teach you in next step 201. But here's what I want, you, I want you to realize here. To get more specific, here's how you find your purpose. It takes consistency. You can't do something once and then, you know. All great people start somewhere small. I started greeting people. My best friend started in a parking lot and he was being consistent, being consistent. Being, if you want to be used by God, just be, show up and say, Pastor Keith, to, to, talk, talk to Pastor Keith, what can I do? Be consistent. That's the first thing. Have mentors to speak truth to you and not just tickle your ears. Have some people who can really help you along the way. Um, you also need a lot of failures. <laughs> Don't be used by God. You need, to, you need a lot of failures. Because out of your failures come your experience where you can minister to other people. You also need self-evaluation, man. If you want to be used by God, look at your life, man. Evaluate and see how you're treating people. What type of husband are you? What type of father are you? What type of wife are you? What type of, of, of friend are you? Take time to reflect and evaluate where you're at. And then let me say this. You need to experiment a lot with a lot of different things. Try some stuff, man. Sometimes people stumble into, into their calling by just doing it and trying it. I stumbled into doing this because I had a friend who said, will you teach our students this summer? And I was like, go on, teach some knuckleheads. No. High school students are crazy, man. I don't want to go teach them. And now today I'm doing this because I experimented and tried something I have never, I had never done before. Make sure you experiment. So let me ask you this. Is where, um, where, are, where are you passionate and where does the world have a deep need? Where are you passionate and where does the world have a deep need? Where are you passionate and where does the world have a deep need? When those two things meet, you will find out where your purpose is at. So you got to pray and let your misery become your ministry. And as we close today, let me just say this to you. I received a lot of questions after these messages were prepared. And I want to close with this. People bombarded me with the question, how do I forgive someone? It's not even in your notes. How do I forgive as we close today, I think it's fitting that we address that question. First of all, you've got to recognize that someone needs forgiveness in your life. And you know how you know someone needs forgiveness? You keep having imaginary conversations with them. You keep having imaginary fights where you're beating them up in your mind. You know. You keep telling them off in your mind. And you know that they, they come up and live rent-free in your mind, right? You're like, they're always there. First of all, recognize when that happens, that's unforgiveness. Secondly, you need to realize this. Forgiveness is not just a one-time event. It's an ongoing process. 
So you can't just say, well, I forgive them and then they don't keep coming up. So what you must do is this. You must, every time they come to your mind and you have that bitter feeling, you must say, Lord, I want you to help me to forgive them. And here's what I do verbally. I verbally do it. I say, God, I forgive and release John Smith. If anybody's name is John Smith, I'm so sorry. Um, but, but I forgive and release John Smith from everything that he's done. And if it's something specific, I forgive and release John Smith for cursing me out. I forgive and release him and I give him to you. And you know how, how many times you have to do that, guys? As many as they come up in your mind. It's forgive and release. And here's finally what you must do. To live at peace with them doesn't mean you have to live in partnership with them. Did you get that? To live at peace with them doesn't mean you need to live in partnership with them. That means you can forgive and release them, but you don't have to get back in the same situation. If you have a friend who kept just screwing you over all the time, stealing money, doing stuff, you can forgive them, but you don't have to get in the same situation again. You can forgive them and have peace and release that person and be at arm's distance and smile and love them and pray for them. Amen? If you will, not you stand to your feet this morning? And thank you for letting us squeeze everything in today that we had to squeeze in. Hopefully you've had some questions answered. But as we close here, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes in here. And on that last question, I want you to think about, are there some people you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to forgive that has hurt you, that's offended you? And maybe you need to go to that person and say, look, I forgive you and it really hurt Maybe you need to go ask for forgiveness. But right now today, I believe some of you have been tortured by people living rent-free in your mind. They just keep coming up and you're arguing with them and you're fussing and you're getting, it's just messing with you. And I believe the Lord is saying today to some of you that it's time to forgive, release, and move forward. Forgive, release, and move forward. So right now, I want you to think about, is there someone in, in your life, someone in your life, that you need to release and forgive right now. I want to pray for you before the worship team starts. And let me pray for you. Father, thank you for so many answers in the last two weeks to lots of questions. We thank you, God, that you always want to answer our questions. If we honestly seek you, you'll give answers. Now, God, I pray... I pray in Jesus' name that today, on that last question, that there will be some forgiveness that happens. And we can forgive because you forgave us, Jesus, of so much. And if we hold our debts against others, you're going to hold them against us, as you said in the Bible. And so, Lord, today we forgive and release those who've hurt us, who've maligned us, who've mistreated us, who've misrepresented us. God, we choose to forgive because forgiven people forgive and hurt people hurt. So we decide today to be forgiven people who forgive those who have hurt us. We thank you so much for your forgiveness. And church, as Lauren sings this song, There's Power in the Name of Jesus, I want you to verbally right now, you may, 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 just may need to call somebody's name out and say, I forgive John Smith, I forgive Sally Sue, I forgive so-and-so specifically for what they've done. And you need to ask the Lord to give you the help to, to continue to forgive every time that comes up.